Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Hey, this thing on. Uh, Hey, how are you? Monday morning, beautiful, cloudy, foggy, misty... Monday morning. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator and uh, around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to the uh, uh, live stream to the audio only uh, the audio only live stream to the podcast and of course uh, uh, of course to the uh, social media sites where we simulcast the show <clears throat> uh, on Facebook YouTube and Twitch where we have a a goodly batch of folks already in this morning joining us uh, on those social media platforms and uh, be in part of uh, the chat room this morning where we kind of uh, hang out and do our thing. Um, weird weather. Um, it's uh, it's uh, there's weird weather uh, kind of all over the state. Uh, was pretty nice near the end of the week. And then uh, on Saturday and Sunday, it got, well, yesterday I felt like I was kind of in the clouds, right? It was kind of in the clouds with a mist and uh, and it was wet but it was muggy and it was warm and uh it's uh it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy uh here we are the last day of july the la- <laughs> i don't know where the summer's going but man it is rapidly it is rapidly fleeing away from me uh tomorrow will be august the 1st and uh we'll be uh We'll be into that final. Uh, we'll be into that final month of a real true summer. Uh, it would have been nice to would have been nice to have a little bit more of one. But again, uh, as I said previously, at least it's not snowing. That's. I mean, if you want to have, if you want to have something positive, at least you just look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Well, at least it's not snowing," right? <laughs> That's a positive. That's a that's a positive. Um, all right. So what are we going to do today? Um, well, we got some stuff lined up for later this week, and we're working on some other guests uh, today. Though I kind of wanted to take some time to go over some of the headlines that kind of cracked out over the weekends. Some of the things that are coming up. Uh, some 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 good news. Some not so good news. Some surprises. Um, and also a little bit of, um, uh, a little bit of what I call the, I guess the hard truth is the hard truth. Is that, is that the right, I guess that's the right thing to say. The hard truth that, um, that I, I kind of been sitting on a little bit. Um, I was having a conversation, um, on, I guess it was on Friday with a good friend of mine 
uh, who whose opinion I respect greatly, and who's also been listening to the show. <clears throat> and uh, he and I were talking, and um, we had some we had some interesting discussions about the direction that we as uh, well, the direction that we as a nation uh, are going. And I threw out what I thought were some, I threw out what I thought was some hard truths. You know what I mean? To him. And um, he asked me, you know, well, why don't you, why don't you say, why don't you talk about this more on the show? Um, and I kind of, and, you know, and I kind of basically said because it would, I think, freak a lot of people out. I think, and I, and I think it would it would be a downer, Debbie Downer. He goes, well, as long as you offer some solutions, is it is it is it a downer? And you have just offered a few solutions. So I mean, what do you you know? And I, he may be right. Um, I've been kind of shying away from some of this, and so we're gonna we're gonna try and talk about that an hour or two a little bit the the real truths that I it's not that I've been hiding them I've just been kind of avoiding some of the discussion because it's uh, it's some hard realities we're going to be facing some hard realities in this country um, within the next few years and uh, if we don't uh, if we don't you know tackle it if we don't grab the bull by the horn so to speak. It's going to be a, well, it's going to be a, it's going to be a difficult situation. Difficult situation. Uh, so <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit about that. Also going to have maybe a little bit of a review of the Charter of Changes. Uh, because, uh, you know, while we've seen some of it get implemented, it has not, you know, it's, the problem is, is that the Charter of Changes is very much like the Fiscal Policy Working Group Plan. One of the main <clears throat> warnings that they had out of that plan was, of course, that uh, you can't do it piecemeal, right? They had seven or eight different things that needed to be done. And they said the danger here is doing it piecemeal, because if you do it piecemeal, it's not going to work. You have to kind of do it whole hog. You kind of have to go all in and do everything at once, which uh, as Ben Carpenter, Representative Ben Carpenter can uh, attest to, is a very difficult situation. It's not It's not as easy as it looks to try and go whole hog on one of these things. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit today about the Charter of Changes and kind of revisit it because it's been a while since we, uh, um, uh, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't really, we haven't really dialed in on that and gotten into that here in a while. So I thought it would be a good chance to kind of uh, review that. Also, um, I'm going to open up the phone lines this morning. Now, uh, truth be told, again, there's still something broken. I mean, I don't know if it's an improvement or not. Last week, at the end of the week, we were having a problem where the phone lines were extraordinarily crackly, like there was a lightning and thunderstorm going on on the phone or something. Um, this morning, the phone number was just flat busted. Thank you, GCI. Um, and in fact, it just rings busy no matter what I do. So, uh, <clears throat> but we do have the alternative, uh, the alternate, the alternative, um, which I, uh, uh, brought up. I've got the direct line number, 
So we will open up the phone lines this morning as well. If you want to, uh, if you want to be part of it, I'll be opening up those phone lines in just, in just a hot minute. And we'll give you a chance to, uh, to take a look at it and, uh, and to dial in if you want the phone number for those of you who are keeping track at home. Uh, again, not as easy to remember because it's not an Alaska number and I apologize, but that's, again, GCI is not helping me right now. Uh, but the number to call, uh, for the phone lines is 319-527-3864, 319-527-3864. And, uh, hopefully <laughs> by maybe tomorrow or the next day, we can get these phone lines up and running and we can figure all this out and get it done. But the phones are open now. Uh, 319-527-3864. If you'd like to sound off, uh, we'd love to hear from you and see what you guys have to say. Feel free to, uh, dial in and talk about, you know, if anything happened over the weekend or what you want to do, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. All right. <clears throat> that being said, we are ready to dive into some headlines here and give you a chance to, uh, to hear some of the things that are going on around the state and around the world and, and uh, well, mostly just around the state. I mean, the world stuff, the world can take care of itself. We'll, uh, we'll take care of Alaska. The world can take care. Everybody else can take care of the rest of themselves here as we, uh, as we move forward. So um, some big things happening this last week up in the interior. Since last Thursday... Uh, excuse me, since last Monday, I apologize, in the, la in the last seven days, over 30,000 lightning strikes have occurred in the interior since last Monday, according to the Division of Forestry and Fire Protection. That has triggered a bunch of red flag warnings up in the interior and caused it to be a very high fire danger area. Um, the major increase in fire activity and the lightning event, some thunderstorms moved in across the state. Uh, and as of Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday, uh, the three days previous, the Bureau had reported 79 new fires in the state and had seen an additional 12,000 acres starting to burn. Now, just, just a handful of days ago. <clears throat> What was this? Uh, what's uh, this? Uh, seven. So just eight short days ago, the state had 159 fires and 18, almost 1,900 acres burnt. By Thursday of last week, that number had jumped to 239 fires and approaching 16,000 acres. Now, none of that takes the cake for the big one. The big one was back in 04. Many of us will remember the <clears throat> many of us will remember the fire of over 04 6.5 million acres burned in uh in 04. So this is kind of a this is a low key season. Let's just put it that way. Comparatively, this is a low key season, but there you go. 6 uh 6.5 million acres burned back in 2004. Now, the Alaska uh, season for fire has started off slowly this year, and when that happens, the state was able to send some resources to Canada and to the lower 48 to help battle some vicious wildfires that they have uh, down south. The state currently has two crews that are still fighting fires in two Canadian provinces, uh, 
BC and Northwest Territories. Uh, but they are on their way. They're kind of on their way back. Uh, in 2019 and 2022, the state imported about 7,000 firefighters to Alaska. And a lot of those firefighters came from Canada. When Canada has a busy fire season, Alaska repays the favor and sends resources to them. And if needed, uh, Alaskan can do a quick turnaround and have those teams back within the state in about 24 hours. Right now, the Division of Forestry said it has nine staffed fires across the state, which is part of 101 active fires that they're looking at and keeping an eye on. BLM said it's also mobilizing more crews and are working on bringing up smoke jumpers from the lower 48 and hotshot crews to help. So a little bit of a raise in uh, raise in the thing. I kept seeing the Facebook post uh, late I was late last week, late Friday or whatever, where pictures on the horizon were, is that smoke or is that clouds? People are just, they're not even sure uh, what's going on. But, uh, yep, right now, a little bit of forest fire going on. So, uh, uh, you know, take it easy, be careful out there. And I guess just be thankful that it's not 04 again, because man, that was a that was a that was the year of the uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year of the Haystack Fire, where they had a million acres burned just north of Fairbanks. A million, just think about that, a million acres burned right there on the edge of on the edge of Fairbanks. I mean, it was a there was people evacuating. I remember that was the day that. Uh, the fire really got going and started during my program. My program was in the evenings at that point from four to six. And I remember I stayed there and broadcast for almost five, six hours as we were trying to coordinate people getting in and getting out and getting the information to people and everything else. It was a, uh, it was a long evening, but I felt good about it when it was all said and done <clears throat> because uh, we were trying to keep that information out there from folks. And I think at that point, that was when the mayor called me a shock jock because I was stirring people up about I was just trying to relay information to people about what was happening in the fire area. But I think at the time it was mayor. Um, I can't remember. It wasn't Samson. It was somebody else. I don't remember his name now. But anyway, um, he called me a shock jock for stirring people up during the forest fire. Instead of, you know, I was just trying to give them, just trying to be a, a source of news and information. That's what we're supposed to do with local radio, right? And in an event of an emergency. Anyway, it's interesting. All right. Um, we got more coming up. We're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will be back with more in just a moment. Again, the phone lines are open at the temporary number here, 319-527-3864. Love to hear what you guys have to say. Feel free to call us up this morning. Up next, going to talk about school choice and how somehow we got lied to. Surprise, surprise, surprise. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
Okay. Uh, I don't know what happened here. There we go. We'll get that fixed right there. All right. Um, you guys ready? You guys ready already? Let me go over here to see what you guys have been talking about in the chat room. And it's Monday again. I know. I know. It's just one of those things you feel like, man, it's just Monday. Um, SSDD, I think somebody's trying to say here. Same stuff, different day. Good morning. My dad's in the chat room. Good morning, dad. Uh, all you other six o'clockers. Terry says it's Oregon weather. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Oregon. But I guess this could be considered, I mean, it is like cloudy and foggy and misty. The worst part was, is that it was, it was still deeply warm. What was funny was, <laughs> I got to tell, I got to, I got to tattle a little bit. Um, I was, uh, uh, was, I, it must've been Saturday night. Um, that we were uh, playing with Terry's dog and everything else. And I had one of those little tennis balls and we were throwing it across the thing. And I, I like to bounce it off the edge of the wall so that it bounces into the kitchen. She's got to kind of chase it around. Well, somehow I had this perfect hit and I hit the thermostat on the wall, not thinking anything about it. And then yesterday I was like, man, why is it? It's so it's no sunshine, but it just feels so hot in here. So I walk over to the thermostat to see how warm it actually is. And the thermostat's freaking out. And it's in and the and I look down and realize that the it shows that the heat's like running. And I'm like, what? Bend over, put my hand over the heat register. Sure enough, the heat register is running wide open. I have to disassemble the whole thermostat, put it back together, and it's like 84 degrees in the and I'm like, no, it's hot in here. And it was because apparently I'd hit it with a tennis ball and messed everything up. So the heat had been cranking since the night before. No wonder it was hot downstairs. So we got that fixed. I thought it was just the ambient, you know, whatever. But uh, no, it was the loose nut behind the wheel. That would be me. Uh, that's what I get for throwing things in the house. What did my dad always say? Don't throw things in the house. I was just throwing the thing for the dog. Um. Uh, neighbor brought me fish, says Brian. Try that in a small town. Yeah, we had a neighbor bring us some fish here a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, some salmon. Cooked that stuff up. Oh, it was so good. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, um, I swear to Odin's left nipple. If this secret conversation starts with MD announcing he has new pronouns, I'm setting something on fire. I made my own pronouns up, baby. That's what I did. It has nothing to do with no new pronouns. No, not a single thing to do with new pronouns. Um, all right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, yeah, it is a number salad, Jeannie. And I'm sorry, but that's why I had another number. It's just one of those things. Um, Brian says he blames harp for the fires. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Julie up in Sutton. Good morning over on YouTube. Um, Lisa and Gary say that they have five fires in their area alone and the Pogo mine fire. Um, okay. 
I'm not saying, but it's, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Um, yeah, haystack. That was a bad one. Bad one. Um, okay. Going for a trip one. Don't elect liars. Okay. Come to McCarthy. 75 degrees since mid-June, said Michael. Okay. That's nice. Good for you. I wish. Um, all right. Tell me you're not a sports fan without telling me you're not a sports fan. I'm not a sports fan. I don't even have to tell you that. You knew that already. Um, last night, 64 degrees and humidity of 87%, like living in the South. That's kind of what it was. It? it just kind of feels that way. All right. Let's, uh, let's get back to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Monday, Monday. That's what it's all about. It's a little bit of Monday, a little bit of fun day. Uh, welcome to it in this. I guess it's a little rainy and misty pretty much all across the state. Somebody said it was cool and moist, <laughs> moist, cool and moist in Fairbanks as well this morning. Same way down here in South Central. And I don't know what it's like down on the peninsula, but somebody's going to tell me, I'm sure. So it's going to be. Uh, um, you know, it's going to be good stuff. All right, let's um, let's move on here uh, to a big surprise. Big surprise. They lied to you. This is going on in the uh, South Central area. Um, the uh, just a month before school starts. Families who have children enrolled in some of the charter correspondence programs in private schools were shocked to learn that the Anchorage School District is clawing back their financial allotments for students. This is a thing. Alaska's correspondence school allotment program allows eligible families to be reimbursed up to $4,500 per student enrolled in classes at the private school of their choice. Now, this was always walking. I'll be honest with you. This was always walking kind of a thin line, like a razor blade. Uh, this was going on. Um, uh, we had uh, Treg Taylor's wife, and I can't remember her first name. She came on and talked on the program about this program and about how you could kind of get the allotment and still use it for extracurriculars and other school things that weren't, um, that weren't uh, you know, sectarian kind of schooling thing. In the past, a student could be enrolled at a family partnership charter school and dual enrolled at a private school such as Montessori. Families would be able to use their funding follows the child allotments to pay for some of the costs of educating their children outside of the ASD's standard system. Then earlier this year, the Anchorage School Board stripped family partnership charter school of its charter, even though it is the most well-attended charter school in the state and has the highest educational outcomes of any school in the district owing to its unique structure. 
Well, they can't have competition now, can they? Can't stand any kind of competition. The vote on that was 6-1 to with uh, Dave Donnelly being the only board member opposing the takeover of the partnership. At the time, Jarrett Bryant, the superintendent of the Anchorage School District, said that the parents would not see much change even as the charter school was consumed by the districts and would lose its independence, the school board also made promises to the parents attending meetings that the funding, the funds dedicated for family partnership charter school would stay with the school and not be swept into the district's other fund pools, even as it came under the district's supervision and command structure. Again, Jarrett, the superintendent at the time, said uh, it was the time to earn the trust of families whose children were enrolled through the Family Partnership Charter School. Uh, he said in a public meeting in April, that was attended by a lot of concerned parents, quote, it's time to pivot our focus to supporting the family partnership communities and earn the trust of all families to choose the wonderful opportunities that family partnership offers. It's time for us to begin the healing, and that won't happen overnight. Unquote. Of course, none of this healing would have been necessary if you had just left the school alone. That was the thing. I mean, this, this the whole family charter school thing was a the family partnership was a very tight knit community. I mean, when this whole thing went down, if you remember, there was a lot of big blow ups and a lot of things happening. But the whole point was this is a school that's doing amazingly well. They are very successful. They have a high academic achievement rate, and they have all these things. And you're going to take it all apart, which, I mean, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but that's what you're going to do. Um, but according to a new memo from the district, that was then and this is now. Now the school district is saying that if a student is dual enrolled in a place like Family Partnership, Frontier Charter School, or AK Charter Choice School, and a full-time at a private school, they will receive no allotment. Um, this was one of those things where if a parent had, they were in some kind of faith-based school or curriculum that evolved the faith being separated out, that they could, uh, always bank their allotment and use it for extracurricular enrichment like hockey or a high school program. Um, but that is the, uh, that's not just, that's not how they're working now. On June 25th, the principal of family partnership wrote to the parents saying, quote, I'm writing to inform you of a recent clarification regarding the use of homeschool allotments for private school classes. Uh, in short, full-time private school students are, quote, not permitted to use their allotment to pay for any portion of the private tuition or to supplement the student's private school education, unquote. This means that full-time private school students will not be provided with an allotment. Part-time private school students may use half or less of their allotment for non-sectarian private school courses. And this is, I mean, this is exactly what they were talking. Big surprise that they were not going to hold true to all those things. And instead, they disassembled one of the most successful charter schools in the district because they were making you look bad. I think that's kind of the easiest way to look at this at this point. Uh, the article in Must Read also goes down and breaks down and starts taking a look at what the Constitution says. Um, the Constitution reads uh, pretty clearly uh, that, um, that 
no money shall be paid from public funds for the direct benefit of any religious or other private educational institution, basically shutting out any ability to have any kind of school choice. Um, the legislature had provided that student allotments for correspondence students may, about, they may not be used for sectarian services or materials. And that is, that's been the case. I mean, again, we have homeschooled every one of our children through, uh, through the IDEA program. And there were just certain things that we would not buy. We could not buy with our state allotment funds or could not get reimbursed for. And there were things over the years that we purchased that we knew we weren't going to get reimbursed for. And that's just, that's how you roll. But, you know, to basically sever the neck of, of, of a, uh, schooling system that's been doing well and was not pushing for sectarian, you know, uh, was not pushing for sectarian uh, materials or anything else, uh, was using it in the way that I thought was unique and interesting and, again, had a fantastic track record, just shows you, again, the I hate to keep coming back to it, but who am I kidding? I don't hate to keep coming back to it. I got to keep pointing it out. They cannot stand competition. And, and the thing is, is that the Family Partnership Charter School obviously was still within the framework of the Anchorage School District because they were able to kind of claw all that back and shut it down with the school board. But they were doing a good job and they just could not stand to see it. It's it. it it's shocking. And as I've said in the past, and as I will continue to say, I'm sure in the future, until we admit that there is some kind of challenge or problem with our education, our current educational system, our current educational framework or formula, until we admit that there's a problem, there's no way to go back and fix it. And every time somebody steps out of line and starts doing a good job and doesn't toe the line, this is what they do. They come in and they shatter it. They'll shut it down. Um, but you got to love the whole, oh, we promise nothing's going to change. Oh, except for a month before school starts, we're going to send you a new memo that said, oh, yeah, everything has changed. Sorry we said that before. We didn't really mean it. But now everything has changed. Um, which leads me back to a whole nother thing uh, of basically saying, this is why, in my opinion, you should just be homeschooling your kids from the very, just go to another program that's outside of the Anchorage. If you live in the, in the, in the, in the uh, you know, South Central area, you're in the Anchorage school district, whatever, just go choose a program that's outside of that district and get started on that and just homeschool your kids. You won't have nearly the problem that you're having now. That's the the bottom line. I mean, it would be nice to go back to the way it is, but again, the vote from the school board was six to one. Dave Donnelly was the only one that opposed the takeover of the Family Partnership Charter School. Because again, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's working good. Why wouldn't we, in fact, why wouldn't we emulate it Instead of dismantle it, instead of dismantling it, why don't we see, can we, can we reproduce the same results in other schools utilizing the same method? 
But instead of that, no, they want to dismantle it. And with a vote to six to one of six to one, it's no surprise that this is where we're at right now. Now, let's talk for just a second here before we run out of time about the the the, the six to one from the school board. The school board. The school board is on the front line of not the culture war, although I think that they do have some kind of I think they do have some pieces of the culture war, but they are they are on the front line of um, uh, of the battle between, um, you know, smaller, more limited government and larger, more invasive government. The, the school board is right there. You would think that it's innocuous. You would think that it's not that big a deal. You would think that this is just kind of, you know, kid stuff. <laughs> this is school board and kid stuff. You'd think it's kind of kid stuff, but it is it's a much deeper thing. And we need to talk about that later on when I get into my discussion about the real truth that I've been wanting to talk about. But remember that, that in this case, six to one vote uh, of basically fundamentally breaking something that has been working not just well, but better than anything else in the whole district has been working. That, I mean, that would just, you know, had the highest educational outcome of any school in the district. It was the most well-attended charter school in the state and had the highest educational outcomes of any school in the district. Now they've subsumed it back into the system. What how much who's who's willing to bet me out there real money that within a couple short years it will not be the most well-attended charter school, and it will not have the highest educational outcome of any school district in the state. Who's willing to bet me money on that? Nobody? (laughs) Nobody? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. We'll be back. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Up next, we give some kudos where kudos are due. Uh, We railed about this a few weeks ago, and it looks like, I mean, I'm not saying that they're listening, but apparently somebody came to the same conclusion that we did. We're going to talk about that here. Back with more, The Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, where are we at here? Uh, let's see. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Okay. I can taste the fire from 04, says Anthony. Are you kidding? I, I think that's what I asked. Do you remember the fire of 04? He's like, I can still taste it. Um, okay. 
Uh, charter of changes. Step one, don't elect liars. That's a, that's a good, that's always good advice. Always good advice. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anthony says, tennis ball to the T-stat, we call that easy money in the biz. He works in the heating and cooling industry. So he's, you know, that, there you go. Um, it was beautiful yesterday in Sutton. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a, you know, it was nice yesterday, even though it was a little cloudy, it was nice. Peninsula 55 with an expected high of 70. Ooh, baby. Um, but the weather people have fibbed in the last few days. Um. Do you need a clip from the animal house, from Animal House? Can't do it on the air, but yeah, no, exactly. Um, glad we progressed past elementary teachers beating the students, which isn't a fun thing at all. I don't. I. I. You brought it up, not me. Um, Donna says the legislature should pass HB one sixty five, that will allow charter schools and correspondence programs to be run without the district. I would agree with you. Like I said, you need to, you know, if I was you and I was had kids in the Anchorage area, I would be separating them out from that post haste. Post haste. Um, uh, Michael says the Espinoza decision in the Supreme Court ruled against the Blaine Amendment, which regulates public school funds for education. We need an administration which stands against this funding. Yeah. Yeah, basically, Kyle kind of susses it out. So if you're going to teach your kids, no money for you. No money for you. Um, okay. Stop using common sense. Gaslighting your audience. Why did I? I don't even know. Okay. Um, the. Um, okay. I'm scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Um, Michael says, I am campaign manager for Dave Donnelly in the next election cycle. Mark Anthony Cox has retained me to run his next campaign. We need a massive outpouring of support so we can get another conservative on the school board. Yes. Public policy based on innuendo and okay. Uh, Jerrica says it's 60 degrees, 60 degrees uh, in Houston right now. Uh, Anthony says, whoops, wrong one. Uh, Anthony says parents need to step it up. I'm of the opinion you've got no dog in the fight over the education system unless you're willing to pull your kids out of the indoctrination meat grinder. That is public school and then homeschool them. No fence sitters allowed. I mean, I've been advocating for that for a long time. You know, um, I've been advocating for that for a long time. Uh, and Harold, of course, always a joy. Always surprising to see public policy ideas for school from folks who don't have kids in the schools, like electing a single city council member, experience counts. Uh, but I, I have kids in schools. It happens to be homeschool. Uh, I have schooled five children. Uh, with my wife and I, we have homeschooled, so we have some experience in this. And, you know, our decisions are being informed by what's happening in other places as well. We're looking at other examples. So, again, 
Away with your biases. Away with your biases. <laughs> I mean, you got to complain anyway, but it, you know, it doesn't matter. I think that people should pull their kids out of schools and not have, again, having them, if you're fighting the wars over the schools, the last thing you want to do is have your children in the middle of the battlefield while you're fighting the war. Put them back in the home bunkers where they put them back in the bunkers. See, sound bite that out for me. Duke says, put all your children in bunkers. Protect them from the world. Put them in bunkers while you fight the war. (laughs) All right. Mm. All right. Crack myself up there. All right. Um, what else we got? Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Mm, We're going to get to that. And yeah, we're going to get, we got, got, got a few more, a few more times to talk about. All right. So we're going to dive into this and get going. Please like, and share the show, like, and follow the show page. If you do those things, Especially if you like the show, whether on YouTube or Facebook, it really helps with the engagement. Leave me a comment as well. That'll be great. Let's get back into it. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. (laughs) Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yeah. I say we just put all the kids in bunkers until they're 18 years old and let them out and let them loose. What was the old joke about? Putting your kids in a barrel at the age of 12. Feeding them through a knot hole till they're 18, and then at 18, you plug the knot hole. Maybe they'll leave. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I may have butchered it a little bit, but I think that's pretty close to what the original idea was anyway. Um, anyway, uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. It is the Monday edition of the show. It is, I'm just looking out the slim little crack that I've got in my drapes here uh, in the back of the studio. It is still foggy, ooh, froggy out there, just foggy and misty, and um, it's uh, it's it's good stuff. Uh, but again, at least it's not snowing. Keep that at the top of your mind every time you look outside and start to complain. Just remind yourself that at least it's not snowing. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for keeping us uh, all squared away. I want to give a little credit where credits due um, because I don't think. I think sometimes I don't do that enough. I mean, let's face it. Uh, a lot of times talk radio is just about, you know, you're just, I'm just here to gripe. I'm just how to, I'm just here to bitch about things and you know, gripe about it. Not to offer any solutions, although we try and offer solutions every time we can, but also not to give people kudos when they're getting things right. Now, if you'll recall here a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the childcare situation here in the state of Alaska. And some of the problems and some of the stumbling blocks that uh, different communities were having in trying to um, trying to become licensed child care workers. Um, to which my first question was, 
Why? Why would you want to be licensed? It's none of their business. But, of course, the reason that many people want to be licensed is because it gives them access to a bunch of funds and uh, grants and all this other free money, basically. So, okay. All right. So you want more licensed child care workers. And it's part of the whole crisis in the state, right? That's what they're saying. It's a whole crisis uh, because we don't have enough child care workers. And then... Uh, deep down, if you dove into the story and you read past just the headline, you started to see what some of the problem was. Well, the problem was, of course, government. Government was the problem. They had these onerous rules and regs that they were trying to apply as if many of these people who lived in rural, remote areas were living in downtown Anchorage. Like, you got to hand deliver this. You got to hand deliver that. You got to have a specific set of fingerprints. You got to have the, I mean, it was just a litany of things, you know, like a fire extinguisher, which you couldn't hardly get out into the villages because of the hazmat. You got to have multiple, whatever. It was just this list of things that you had to have from the government. And my first comment was if you guys are really so high and mighty and hot and heavy to make sure that there's more providers out there, maybe you should reduce the burdensome and onerous regulation to get it done. Well, apparently somebody was listening. I mean, I'm not, I'm not conceited enough to believe that somebody was actually listening to this show and said, boy, he's got a good idea. We should just do that. Um, But things are changing. The state government is taking aim at eliminating one of the most common barriers for people who want to open child care centers in remote communities, and that is a state requirement for what is called a static IP address. Now, I have to have a static IP address here in my studio because of the nature of my business, because, you know, static IP basically is your address on the Internet. Most of you out there who are using your ISP don't have a static IP address, but it doesn't really matter because you don't have people trying to dial in to you to give you information or to take information from you, right? So a static IP address, usually every time you log into the internet, it gives you a different IP address, but it doesn't matter. But for certain applications, businesses, and everything else, you need a static IP address. Now, according to the article in the Alaska Beacon, Uh, While most devices can change, static IP addresses don't. This can be costly and hard to get in remote parts of Alaska where Internet access is a known challenge. Now, uh, I'll be honest with you. I pay $10 a month for a static IP in addition to my normal fee. That's what I pay, $25 a month for a static IP. So um, while it's cheap for me, that same static IP <clears throat> in a village could be, I mean, I think Willie was on the line last week when I asked him, how much is it for internet in, you know, Quinnahawk out near Bethel? What's, you know, what's it like out there? And he said for slow, crappy internet, it's like 300 bucks a month, which, you know, is three times what you can get, you know, here in the community. So maybe a static IP is not 10 bucks a month. Maybe it's 50 bucks a month. I have no idea. But this is one thing that they're going to change. Would-be child care providers in remote parts of Alaska said they can't get licensed because the state requirements are logistically difficult or prohibitively costly where they live. Um, And they're changing this whole thing with the state static IP address. 
To get certified as an open child care uh, center with the state, you have to use that static IP. It's a safety measurement that's a requirement as a result of the 2021 cyber attack on the Department of Health and Social Services. So they had a problem, and so now they're, you're going to be the one that has to. So now the state is working on a solution so that the static IP address will no longer be necessary for child uh, provider background checks, according to uh, Leah Van Kirk, who's a healthcare policy advisor for the state's health department. Um, she said, we definitely heard that it's a concern because it's an additional cost to the provider through their telecom. Uh, our IT network staff are developing a portal that child care providers will also be able to access without having to go through a static IP, which again, good. I mean, that's awesome. You, you saw something that was a problem. You saw something that was a barrier and you eliminated it. The executive director of Thread, Stephanie Berglund, said uh, that was the biggest barrier that we heard about at Thread was this static IP issue. So she said, I'm happy to see action and steps forward. Julie Colum, who is a representative from Anchorage, said six months felt like a long uh, time to wait. She asked, is this a funding issue? Is this a human resource issue? Is there anything on the legislature end that we could do to step it up? The other thing that they're doing which, uh, I mean, why they weren't doing this to begin with is just amazing to me. Um, the task force is also interested in easing the fingerprint requirement for child care, not to eliminate them, but currently fingerprint cards have to be mailed to the state for background checks, which means you have to have somebody come out and do a physical fingerprint check. This was, again, one of the main things that they mentioned in that previous article. Um. Several of the task force members have expressed hope that they that that work could be done digitally. Um, and according to the uh, the gal again from Health and Social Services, she says, I think that's going to be a takeaway to go back to the IT staff, said state departments do not currently accept fingerprint scans from third parties like child care providers, though they do use digital fingerprint scans internally. So they use it. They're okay to be used internally, but they don't use them for people who are submitting something to the state. But the state uses them internally all the time. And then they said it's for security reasons. I mean, if you could send a fingerprint reader to any village or to any area and have, you know, that just seems to make sense. Um, so they're but but again, kudos to them for trying to find real solutions to a problem that is very obviously has to do with burdensome overregulation. So kudos to this whole group of folks at the um, at the uh, uh, health and so Department of Health and Social Services uh, who are working on this uh, applicant process and trying to streamline it and get it done. And congrats and, and you know, again kudos to people like Julie Colomb who've been following it along and all the folks that are working over there. But I mean. This is exactly what we need. We need the less burdensome part of this whole thing to be put to, to be put in there and, and to be eliminated so that more people can just join and and fill that need. I mean, maybe if we didn't have all this burdensome regulation and all this overzealousness, we wouldn't be looking to have to pour millions of dollars into government subsidized child care because there'd be more than enough providers to take care of it. But as soon as we made it a government mandate and now we've incentivized it with government grants and monies and other things, 
you know, it, it, it's made it more difficult. So good for them. Good for them that they are, that they are eliminating some of these burdensome rules and licensing issues. I hope it, I mean, I hope it just accelerates from here. That's my hope. All right, hour two is dead ahead. I'm going to get into the Charter of Changes and my truth, my secret truth, the real truth, uh, what I've been talking about or been avoiding for quite a while now, the real truth that I've been really being mum about. And I'll give you some background on that when we get back. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more right after this. They come after you for everything when you try to be a licensed child care provider. I remember people freaking out over Fairbanks requiring tempering valves being installed on the hot water at the cost of the individual, taking like 1200 bucks out of the pockets just to apply for the inspection. I mean, and that's the thing. If you are an official licensed child care provider, that's, I mean, there's a, I'm going to tell you, there's a huge black market for people out there who will watch kids. I mean, is it really a black market? It's not illegal to make an arrangement with somebody to watch your kids and pay them, right? But if you want to be a licensed child care provider and turn it into a full-time business and get access to all the monies and the bet, you know, the things like, I mean, it, again, why would you go to the government to beg permission to do something that you can already do on your own? I mean, that's crazy stuff. Marcia says the static IP is for the background check unit. So they only need it temporarily. They need it in the future. They need, they have to have a static IP to be able to apply. I mean, how does that, how does that work? And if they don't, I mean, if they don't have the ability to create a static, I, I don't know. Marcia sounds like she's got a little background on this. Maybe she can fill us in a little more, but I mean, if you, why would you need a static IP to anyway, it's crazy stuff. Um, now if we can get them to answer the phone says Denise. All right. You know how to fix the childcare in Alaska bunkers. That's right. Put your kid in bunkers. They'll be safe from everything. Um, Denise says, what is this 200 star thing? Uh, Denise, there's a way that you can help support the program. It's called stars. If you're on Facebook, you'll see it. It's that pinned comment up at the top of the top of the screen. And it's just a, it's like a tip. You like, give me a tip 
you 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 drop some stars in the chat room. I see Bill and Rick have both been dropping stars this morning. You guys are awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, it's just a way to, uh, you know, it's just it's just a way to help show your support of the show. That's what it's all about. So it's uh, it's a it's a good thing. Um, you can go out and you basically, you buy the stars and at, you know, whatever it is, you buy two, three bucks worth of stars, and then you sprinkle them throughout the conversation to show that you are a supporter of the show. That's what it's about. So you can go out there and, and, uh, and, and do it if you'd like. It's just, again, it's just another way to help support the show. So there you go. Um, Inspection fees are not income streams, are just income streams. Um, mm, program to rehabilitate Cold War bunkers. They would need a lot of HVAC work, right? Anthony. Uh, YMCA is the solution, said Kathleen. I know YMCA offers a lot of uh, child care programs that they've been doing across things. But the brothers, the uh, big brothers, big sisters, Boys and Girls Club, they also do some things. Um, Harold said, we never had strangers watch our kids. Well, yeah. I mean, why? Whoa. Why would you? Wouldn't you want to know who's watching your kids? Who suggested you have strangers watch your kids? I mean... I mean, I suppose if they're a licensed child care, then you're like, well, there must be licensed. They must be fine. No, I think I'll still go out and find my own child care uh, from people that I know. Thank you. That's a thing. Um, all right. There you go. Bill and Rick. Yes, Bill and Rick have both given stars. The challenge has been proffered. Now I got to go research, he says. It's, pre it's pretty easy. Um, Marcia clarifies for us, the reason for the static IP is for every time you look into a potential employee provider to have access to an online background check unit, employees, providers need to also redo background checks every six years as well. Well, I guess that would be great. I would only need an IP address for a short period of time. And of course they're explaining that you need a static IP address so that they can't, they got the breach. I'm sure somebody was basically scanning their firewall and just banging on their door all day long. And if you have a static IP, what they can do is they can restrict access to people within a certain IP range. That's how that works. Because I've had to do that for a couple things at uh, the radio station where we had to... At one point, um, I had 50,000 login attempts on a single piece of equipment where they were trying to log in from outside. So I had to restrict the IP addresses to only IP addresses that are available in Alaska. And that stopped it. But I mean, 50,000 IP address, uh, 50,000 um, um, logon attempts in a period of four or five days. Yeah, that's what they're trying to avoid with that. I, I get that. I gave stars too, says Julie, but it never showed up on the feed. Um, yes, it did. I see the little, there's a little star next to your name. You're a star sender. See, right there. You earned the badge, star sender. You did. It showed up on the feed. I just missed it because it doesn't highlight it on my thing. Sometimes I have to go back and manually check. So you did it, Julie. You are a star. All right. Let's go.
Hour two, dead ahead. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, across the world on the Internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska at this, your favorite radio station and or FM uh, translator. Good morning and welcome to it. Monday. So fun. It's Monday. It was a day that they had to. Oh, Mo Monday. Uh, It's a beautiful day. Uh, Beautiful. uh, Well, I mean, it's not snowing, so it's a beautiful day. A uh, little cloudy, little misty, little foggy, little uh, little little moist, moist out there uh, across the state of Alaska. If you're down on the peninsula, they're saying highs of 70 today. Good for you guys. Uh, not going to be quite that nice here, I don't think, uh, although it could burn off. Up in Fairbanks, nice and cool. Um, but all them forest fires, woo, baby, it's, uh, it, it went from being the lowest fire season in history to hello, there's 20,000 acres of flame right there. Boom. So it's, uh, it's good stuff. All right. Well, welcome back to the program. It is hour two of the Monday edition of, uh, the Michael Duke show. And, uh, we just finished up with a few headlines. Uh, we're going to continue on. I've got a couple things to talk about here today, including kind of a re a refresh of the charter of changes, just to kind of get you into the, into the mood, into the, you know, to kind of revisit. And, um, um, and we're going to, uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I want to start out talking about, um, I guess what I called it was the real truth. I want to talk about a little bit of one of the real truths that I've kind of been quiet about. I haven't been very vocal. I brought it up a couple times. I've mentioned it uh, now probably 10, 12 years ago. There was a period of time on the program where I talked about it a little bit more frequently, but that was when the show was only in Fairbanks. And... um, and uh, I, you know, kind of brought it up and and kind of laid out some truths, but it, it, it's it, it's a it's a balance, right? I want to talk about it, but at the same time, I don't want to make everybody suicidal. You know what I mean? Because there are some hard truths out there that basically um, mean that we're in for some rough times ahead as a as a nation, as a state, as a society here in America, 
it's pretty tough. Now, this whole conversation was sparked because I was having a I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who I respect very highly. Um, and we were having a discussion about a lot of different things, but partially about the show and about the things, the headlines and things like that. And that I had just finished a reading of the uh, latest projections from the Congressional Budget Office. Now, I know on the program, a lot of times I'd say uh, we don't focus on state stuff because or on national stuff because we can't control it. And that's true. We don't focus on it. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't try and stay up on some of it. Um, I'm pretty particular about what I stay up on because, again, I can't if I can't control it, if I can't fix it, if I can't have an effect on it, why would I waste my brain space on it? Why would I focus and put my, you know, cause my anxiety to trigger up if I can't do anything about it? That's an exercise in futility, right? That's the that's the ultimate in frustration doing something like that. So I don't do. But there are a few things that I watch. One of them has to do. One of the things that I do follow is the overall tract of the budget and the um, the debt and deficit uh, numbers, where things are going and what what's going on. Um, so there's been a bunch of analysis about this, uh, and J.D. Tuchilli over at Reason Magazine wrote about this last week, um, in part, uh, some of the different numbers. And let me just put it this way. Things don't look super rosy um in the forecast for the uh for the financial forecast for the country because we have a problem um in this country with the a couple different things first of all we have a problem with the too big to fail itis where we feel like somehow some way america is just too big to fail although we know that that's not necessarily the truth um it's kind of ingrained into us and also, of course, the idea that uh, we basically know better than anybody else how we need to spend, I mean, the government specifically, how to spend our money. So it's the politician's disease and a little bit of too-big-to-fail syndrome. So for starters, let's take a look at the CBO projections for last uh, month that came out, the 2023 long-term budget outlook from the CBO. Uh, according to the uh, According to that, the federal government is now on pace to borrow $116 trillion over the next 30 years. Now, trillion is one of those things that it's hard to wrap your brain around, right? It's like infinite. It's like the word infinite. It's You understand the definition, but it's hard to conceptualize. It's like the distances between planets in our solar system. We know that the, but we, the, if you were standing in the middle of it, these vast distances, it's, it's, it's almost inconceivable, right? I mean, it's just these numbers. So a trillion dollars, we know that a trillion is a thousand billion, right? We know that a billion is a thousand million. But when you see one of those things where they conceptualize it by stacking, you know, dollar bills or elephants or whatever they're stacking in those things. And you realize that, you know, uh, uh, a million is the size of a, of a house and uh, uh, a billion is twice the size of a skyscraper and a trillion reaches all the way up to the moon and beyond. You realize it's a, you know, it's a whole or other order of magnitude kind of thing, but we're about to borrow 
on pace right now, $116 billion, uh, trillion dollars over the next 30 years. And paying the interest on that accumulated national debt would require 35% of all annual revenue by that time frame. So 30 years from now, we would have borrowed an additional $116 billion in debt, a trillion. I keep using billion. It's trillion dollars in debt. And it would take 35% of the GDP just to pay the servicing of those debts. Federal debt will rise from 98% of GDP, gross domestic product. So federal debt would be from 98% in that same time period to 181% of GDP. And according to the CBO, pose significant risks to the fiscal and economic outlook. It could also cause lawmakers to feel more constrained in their policy choices. My God, I would hope that lawmakers would feel more constrained at 181% of GDP. But here's the problem with all those numbers that I just threw. And I can feel some of your eyes just glazing over as I talk about these things. But here's the problem. <clears throat> the forecast in the CBO is based on some unrealistically rosy assumptions. Things are likely to be much worse. Published last week is the long-term budget outlook under alternative scenarios for the economy and the budget. This also came out from the CBO. So what I was just talking about was from a month ago, and then last week they put out I guess, a more realistic thing on this. And they said the CBO's extended baseline projections, discretionary spending is smaller and revenues are larger on average than they have been as a share of GDP over the last 30 years. Basically telling you that what they were doing it is when they were factoring those numbers, it was based on the rosiest projections that they could possibly think of. For this last report that came out last week, the CBO, uh, CBO instead looked at the historical rate scenario, meaning this is what they've spent and this is what they've done for the last 30 years instead of our rosy projections. Here's the problem. That debt held, instead of being 181% of GDP by 2053, would be 250% of GDP. And they won't even speculate on what that would do to the economy. They basically just said, um, no, we can't do that. What would the consequences of that, they say, because of the significant uncertainty about the effects of such a high level of debt would have on the economy, the CBO basically does not interpret data exceeding 250%. Because uh, that's part of the problem. Look, I, I don't want to go into this whole article to talk about. Let me just basically, can I? let me just bottom line it for you here. Let me bottom line the truth for you here. And I'm going to, I'll post up this reason. There are a couple of reason articles. Eric Babe's got one. JD Tuchelli's got another one. Uh, but I'll post up the reason article if you want to go through it. You can take a look at it in the chat room. Let me bottom line it for you. And this is the hard truth. All right. And I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to, I don't, I'm trying, I try, here it is. 
I don't think we're going to fix what's going on with the uh, spending in America. I don't think we're going to fix what's going on with the economics of debt and deficit spending. I just do not think there is the political will to fix that. We have got 500 Congress critters in there who are all guaranteeing us that they'll fix the problem, but they're not even willing to take a look at things like Medicare, Social Security, these kind of things that are fixed cost things that if we don't deal with it now, I mean, it's going to be a problem in just a handful of years if we don't take care of it. They're not even willing to address and take a look at those things. There are maybe five people, five people in all of Congress who are actually talking about these things, about, you know, continuing to control our spending and bring the bring the debt back down and do that kind of stuff. Out of 500, so you got 1% are in there, like, trying to fight it. I don't believe that there's the political will to reverse the course on where we're going. And this doesn't even take into account the discussion about things like, you know, monetary policy and uh, the fact that the U.S. has world reserve currency status and that can go all gunny sack. And if that happens... Uh, then our borrowing power turns to zero and it's an inflationary trap. And there's a, tr- I mean, it's, there's, there's so many different things that we're not, I'm not even talking about right now. But when you look at this overall, I've come to the conclusion about a dozen years ago that there is just no, um, there's just no will to fix this. Because they think they can just continue to go on in debt and deficit spending ad nauseum. But there's this thing called mathematics, right? And that will eventually win out. Arithmetic doesn't lie. So the truth is, I don't think it will be fixed. Which means, inevitably, it will bust again. There will be a bubble, right? There'll be a bubble burst. There will be some kind of depression, recession, catastrophic financial problem. I think it is at this point inevitable. Do I know when? No. But it can't go. I don't think you'll make it that. I don't think you'll make it that 30 year cycle that the CBO is talking about. Not at 250%. Just think about that. If it's 35% of GDP, uh, 35% of annual revenue would have to be spent at the 30-year mark to cover the debt at 181%. Just add another third onto that. So you're talking about 45, almost 50% of the federal budget would have to go to debt service in 30 years. I don't think it'll get to that 30-year mark. So once I acknowledged that a few years ago and looked at it and realized that wheels are coming off the bus eventually. So the question then becomes, how do I deal with that? If I can't fix it, if I can't stop it, if I can't, 
you know, do those things, then how do I live with that knowledge that it's like you're, you're on a train, but you're not in the locomotive. You're one of the guys in the, I keep using the train analogy, right? About it. the bridge is out and we're just going to keep going and they're just shoveling coal to it. Except this time we're not in the locomotive. We're in down in the passenger cars. We see the curve. We see the bridges out. We know it's coming. What do we do? That's where we're at right now. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that in the next segment, that this is what I basically, I I kind of avoid talking about too much because again, oh, it's so doom and gloom. You're talking about the end of the world and you just, you know, you just flapping your gums and no, I mean, it's not just me. There's a lot of people smarter than me out there who are talking about this. And uh, I mean, even the CBO is saying, this is a problem. This is a problem. And they're like, yeah, I don't want the red pill. Give me the blue pill. Plug me back in and let me feel good, coach. That's all I want. I don't care about it. I I think I, I do a disservice if we don't bring it up and talk about it from time to time. So let's do that. We'll continue here in just a minute. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more in just a moment right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. (laughs) Brian says we are screwed. Yes and no. I think, yes, we're screwed in some ways, but it depends on how you deal with it to say whether you are personally screwed, right? And of course, Harold, who's just contrarian, we're fine. GDP expanded at a rate of 2.4% last quarter. If you think the GDP is going to expand to the rate of 181% in the next 30 years or 250 in the real world scenario, okay. I mean, Harold, he's got this. Harold's got this. We should put him in charge of everything. Um, Bill is hitting the point. This is Bill. This is, and Bill's kind of hit it like, He's making a reference to the Matrix here, for those of you who don't know. The one guy that just wanted to be put back in the Matrix and be a slave and did just just make just ignorance is bliss kind of thing. That's the point as to why I haven't really hit on this super hard all the time. Uh, I've alluded to it a few times, and I but I've never just kind of flat out come and said, we're boned as a nation. Our politicians, our leaders are not, they just, they don't care. They think they got, they're like, I got this. I got this. Don't worry about it. I got this. Except for right up to the point to where you don't got it. And then what happens? They won't be the ones to pay the price. The politicians and the elites, they've got all the juice. They've got the money. They've got the people and the connections. I mean, if the if the whole country goes right in the crapper and, uh, you know, we make the Great Depression look like it was a Sunday picnic, what do they care? Because they'll have their land and the boats and the yachts and the family compounds and the monies and the things and the connections to back it all up. What do they care? But this is why I don't talk about it, because Bill's right. People, this is a very uncomfortable topic. 
If I talk to my wife about this, because I have had conversations, obviously, I talk to my wife. At some point, generally during this conversation, as we're talking about it, she says something along the lines of, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Why? Because it makes me very uncomfortable and worried about the future for our children. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Which is, I think, a natural reaction to many people. The problem is, is that if we don't acknowledge that there's a problem and that there is a potential outcome and plan for that outcome, we're doing nothing but hurting ourselves. That's pretty much, that's pretty much where we're at. Um, push the button, Cotton, we're all with you. That's a reference to something I feel like, Bill, but I apparently missed it. Sorry. Um, a friend, Val Victorian at MIT back in his days, works at a big think tank, told me 10 years ago, if you're not teaching your kids and grandkids Chinese, you're already behind the curve. Oof. Um, China will be out of the business the way you know it. Uh, China will be out of business the way you know it. Their debts are worse than ours here in America. China also is not, yeah, they're not uh, hegemonic. They have their own internal issues and problems themselves. That's 100% true. They are our biggest global competitor, though, but that's exactly it. Uh, to borrow a Dukesism, how do you unpickle a pickle? That's exactly it. That's my whole point here. Um, remember the Savoy Brown album, Street Corner Talking, 1968? There's a cut on that album, Hellbound Train. Starts with a seductive, nice, easy guitar, works its way into a righteous rock and roll. Then it just ends unexpectedly. This is one of the reasons you rarely ever hear it on the radio. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This will be not with a bang, but a whimper kind of thing, right? It just, poof. Have you discussed the gold back? I have discussed the gold back. Um, we should get somebody on to talk about that uh, in a little bit deeper detail, but I don't think that that's the full solution of it. But ideally, the problem is we've got to do something for ourselves, knowing what's coming, right? Knowing what's coming. Okay, here we go. Jumping back into it, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Let's go. Okay, so I laid out all my thoughts, not all my thoughts, but a, a chunk of my thoughts here on the truth. And the hard truth that I've been avoiding really kind of talking about uh, too much on the radio is the fact that I do not believe that our political leaders will pull back on the spending in the United States and right the ship, the economic ship in the country. Not the economy as a whole. I'm talking about the spending in the country for the governmental spending. There's no, there's no desire. 
And as I've used the train analogy before where, you know, they can see the bridges out and instead of applying the brakes, they're just pouring the coal into it, just shoveling it into the engine as fast as they can. And unfortunately, we're along for the ride. So you ask yourself, Michael, what do we do? Well, I believe that there's only a couple of things that you can do. I mean, first and foremost, this is going to lead back into the charter of changes here in a second. And I'm going to tell you how that I'm going to I'm going to make those connections here in a few minutes. But let me just say, first and foremost, you have to prepare. You have to prepare yourself and your family for any kind of eventuality. You have to be as self-sufficient as possible. You know, first and first and foremost, I would recommend that you are as fiscally stable as you can be, uh, that you're out of debt, that you know that if you have properties and things like that, that you that you or your house, that you work to get debt free as as fast as you can, and as reasonably as you can, because if there is some kind of uh, you know fiscal crash, the dollar crashes or things like that. If you own physical property, that's a big deal, right? Um, it's one of the reasons why I admire what Chris Story does is because he is basically building wealth through a property acquisition and through owning physical property. Because, you know, it's 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 ground. They ain't making any more of it, right? There's no more earth that they're making any more of. And so you need to look at what your family needs. You need to look at, uh, I mean, this is one of the things we talk about with like, what if Wednesday, do you have food on hand? Do you have, you know, the necessities and medications and, you know, do you have tools to build things? Do you have uh, tools to make more food? Do you have gardening things and all this kind of stuff? I mean, this is kind of, you know, if you looked at this and it was some kind of fiscal crash, that would be a worst case scenario. I mean, because, again, you go back to where how today versus in 1929 when the crash happened, you go back to today, 100 years later, the world is more intertwined than ever. And if there is some kind of collapse or problem or fracturing of the fiscal market, it would have worldwide repercussions. It would be worse than ever. And the fact that we are now, which we weren't in 1929, the world reserve currency that will have even deeper impacts and, impl and implications. So to offer the solution, as my friend said when we were talking about this, he goes, well, don't just talk about it. Offer the solution as well. Here's my solution. There's, I'm sure that there's many more different, you know, there's different ways you could do this. I'm saying that you should prepare your family in the best way that you can. Be fiscally stable. Be debt-free. You know, if you want to invest some of your monies and, and buy some properties outright, things like that, things that you can own, hard assets where you're, where the value of it won't depreciate. I mean, you could have a thousand bucks in the bank and they decide that the crash happens and now they're going to reissue your money in bluebacks instead of greenbacks. They change the currency and they do it at a one to 10 ratio. So your thousand dollars of greenbacks just turned into a hundred dollars of bluebacks, which are worthless right there. I mean, the worth of the value is in the thing. So property, yes. Tools, yes. Barter items, yes. Foodstuffs and things that you need for your family to live for an extended period of time, yes. Um, I mean, it took us almost, uh, it took us 10 years in a world war to come out of the last depression. Um, if it happened again, 
I would say it would probably take at least that long. Let's hope it's minus the World War. So you would have to be able to limp along for a period of time until the ship rights itself. Now, maybe it does it faster because of technology and the, maybe that global intertwining of the, of the economic system actually works out on the positive side. But I just don't know. So when I was looking for peace of mind, instead of plugging myself back in and say, give me the blue pill, I said, what can I do to make my, you know, to give. So I started thinking about, you know, I got debt free. I got some property. I got some things. I started to slowly build those things up. Just look at it from a perspective of what went wrong during the Great Depression and assume that it's going to be that bad, if not worse. And then make those decisions for your families as you're buying things, um, you know, or as you're investing in things or as you're saving money. You know, maybe you've got a bunch of money in the bank and at some point you're like, I am worried that this is going to tip over. So maybe you buy stuff that you need. Maybe you buy some more tools. Maybe you buy some more, you know, maybe you go buy a tractor trailer load of canned goods. I don't know what you buy. But you have to make that decision. First thing you have to do is acknowledge that the fact that you don't think that it's going to come out okay. And that it's okay to think about that. It's okay to be, what's the worst case, that, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if, uh, <clears throat> if I'm wrong? Which, again, I don't think I am. The worst case scenario is that you're debt free and you own some properties and your family is prepared for any kind of a disaster or some kind of emergency because you've got food and tools and medicines and things on hands just in case you need it. I mean, that's that's the best you can do. My my advice is just get your family ready for anything kind of thing. That's 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 all you can do because, again, we can't affect that because the politicians, hold my beer, I got this. That's what they keep telling us. Hold my beer, we got this. Oh, oh, wait, we don't got this. And uh, so that, that, that's kind of the truth that I've been, I've hinted at, I've mentioned briefly, but I haven't just flat come out and say it. We are uh, in in the fiscal situation, in the government budgets, and the government economy in this country. It's going to come off the rails because nobody's willing to admit that there's a problem. No one's willing to make those hard choices about cuts to spending or to entitlements or to benefits. They're not willing to talk about those things to try and save the whole. They're no, nobody's triaging, Right. They're not, I mean, the, the leg is gangrenous and we need to remove it at the knee uh, to prevent the whole body from getting sick, but they're just not willing to do that. That's where we're at. So um, that's what I made the decision, basically said, I'm just going to take care of what I can take care of. And I'm going to affect change where I can affect change. And where I can affect change is in my local communities. So this comes back to the charter of changes. That's kind of the genesis of where that came out of. I looked around and I said, okay. And I could see that the state of Alaska is kind of setting themselves up for the same kind of hubris that we're seeing in Congress. Too big to fail. 
We know better than you how to spend this money. We know what's going on. And in Alaska, it's even got kind of a more unique appeal because they don't have to be dependent on the private economy to run because they got the permanent fund and everything else. And so they're just going to continue. So how do we affect that? Um, and so that's where kind of the charter of changes came out. So I started looking at the government. I started looking at our legislator. I started looking, but the, I mean, the charter of changes can be applied to many different things. It's primarily built for the legislature, but it could apply to almost any local office that we're talking about. Remember earlier, we were talking about schools and how the family partnership charter school was, was shot down by a six to one vote on the school board. People forget how much power resides in a school board, how much power, how much economic might is basically reserved for their fingertips alone. And we just don't think about running for school board. We don't think about doing that because, well, you know, it's it, it it's not glamorous. It's not glorious. It's not whatever. And it is one of the easiest areas to get started in, in trying to make a, a, a real change. The two com would be like city councils and school boards. And let's talk about the charter of changes for a minute. You could use, excuse me, you could use the charter of changes and apply those things to school boards and city councils from the very beginning. So the Charter of Changes are four different things, and there are some subcategories in there, but the Charter of Changes basically is change the players, meaning elect new people, get the old ones out, don't vote incumbents in. Change the venue. This is for the legislature, getting it onto the road system where we can actually have some interaction with the legislators during the session. Change the rules, making sure that the conflict of interest rules and the open meetings lacked and, and all these other rules are being followed. And then change the funding. And basically what I was talking about there was changing the uh, way that they actually build the budgets instead of basing it on a pie in the sky twice a year pie in the sky revenue projection based on oil prices instead base it on a five-year rolling average or something along that lines of what you have historically gotten in the last five years so that you kind of have a better baseline or zero base budgeting or a combination of thereon that would be great so those are the charter of changes now you can apply this Again, to some of the uh, lower, uh, lower, quote unquote, offices, uh, be it, you know, school board, be it uh, planning, zoning commissions, be it city councils, borough assemblies, all of those things can, you know, still be applied uh, to those things. Not the venue. The venue one is very specific to the legislature, but everything else, making sure that they're following the rules on open meetings. We, I mean, how many times did people in the, I mean, in my lifetime, the Fairbanks Borough Assembly, I can remember, remember at least three times where they've been busted for violating the Open Meetings Act. Um, you know, why are they not following those rules? You've got uh, conflict of interest rules. Make sure that they're following those. Changing the funding. Let's have, again, let's talk about things like zero-based budgeting. Let's talk about things where it's not just a gimme, but you have to justify each and every expenditure. Those are things we could be fighting for. But the first thing is, of course, changing the players. you got to have the right makeup of people to go into these bodies to make a change. Again, Dave Donnelly, 
was the first was the only guy that voted against this change to the charter schools. Six others said absolutely not. We need to take that opportunity to put more people, more like-minded folks in these in these positions. Because I will say one thing, that's one thing that the uh, the progressives have been very good about. They've been very good at building grassroots. I mean, look at what's happened, um, for example, in uh, – I can speak to Fairbanks because, again, I'm born and raised in Fairbanks. Uh, you know, what was a very, I think, moderate to semi-conservative assembly over the course of years has become a very liberal assembly. Why? Because they've been very good about filling up a lot of these positions over the years and being consistent about putting up candidates that were slowly, you know, filled up the school board, filled up the borough assembly, filled up the city council. This is a constant fight. And that's why you have places like Fairbanks, which was traditionally red and is now a lot more purple with a blue assembly. Places like the Kenai Peninsula, which is very red, but with a blue assembly. How do those things happen? Because we're so busy being focused on national hullabaloo that we're not paying attention to what's going on in our backyard. Same thing with the planning and platting boards, things like that. That is some of the insidious stuff because they get things in there that make you, um, they they have an agenda. You know, they have a planning agenda where they want everybody to live in urban density zones instead of being out and living on your own 20 acres. They don't like that. And yet they're the ones that end up on these platting and planning and zoning boards and everything else. This all, again, goes back to the idea of what can I change and how can I change it? If there's something that I can't change, why am I bothering to fight over it? Maybe I should just leave that fight alone and go find a fight that I know that I can make a difference in. All right, we got to go. One more segment ahead, the Michael Luke Show. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, All right, let me come back over here. Choose our battles. Yes, Julie's right. We need to get better at choosing our battles. We need to stop fighting battles that we have no hope of winning and no hope of changing the outcome in. And, And I'm just, some of those things are inevitably going to run their course. This whole thing with the economy and the government spending is going to run its course. We are going to have, I mean, people like Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and Ron Paul before him and many other fiscal conservatives, Jason Amash and stuff, have tried and tried and tried to shake this shake this bell and bring it to the attention. And nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. And Harold, Harold again. He is such the counterpoint to everything. Doom and gloom. We just got over the pandemic and you want us to worry about doom and gloom. This is one of the reasons why I don't normally talk about this topic. Because it's the truth, but it's not the truth that anybody wants to hear. Like my wife, I don't want to talk about it anymore. 
it's not doom and gloom. It's history because we've seen other nations do this same thing, whether it's the Byzantine Empire or whether it was Rome or any other large. This has happened before. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen. Is it fun to talk about? Absolutely not. In fact, it can be very depressing, right? It is kind of doom and gloom. But it's not nearly as doomy or nearly as gloomy if you acknowledge that this is probably what's going to happen. And so you just need to plan accordingly. So that's that's what it all comes down to. Um, going back up here. Let's see what else. Uh, wow, he got real vociferous, didn't he? Biggest thing that went wrong was government intervention, says Timothy. You're not wrong. You know, you are not wrong. Um, let's see. Meantime, Waffle Cone will have sent our munitions to the Ukraine uh, and all the stuff they left in Afghanistan and everything else. I mean, this this whole thing is, Yeah. I mean, again, this whole thing is problematic. My mouse is about to die. That's a sad sadness. Let me get let me get my cord here. Don't want the mouse to die in the middle of the show. I wouldn't be able to do anything. All right, let's go. Let's go. There we go. Okay. Harold isn't connected to reality. Well, I mean, I think he's connected to reality. I think he likes to be contrary. I just think that's his nature. I've just, I've come to that conclusion a while ago that he just likes to be contrary. Uh, Sarah Vance joins us in the chat room for the doom and gloom Monday session. The doom and gloom Monday session. Um, all right. I guess I'm going to summarize and then finish up and then we'll take some phone calls in the next segment because I'm about spent on this. So we'll see what's going on. He's only connected to Folger's Silk Coffee. I don't know what Folger's Silk Coffee is. Silky Coffee sounds interesting. Whether it's Folger's or not, I don't know. Um, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Sarah Vance joins us. Um, all right. Yeah, I don't know how you could read the CBO, which again... Not necessarily the CBO's report. I don't know how you could read that and be like, mm, that's a great idea. Uh, that's going to be great. That's going to work just fine. 250% of GDP in 30 years. That's going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> as a businessman, you look at the government's balance sheet and you say, let's see, they put on $1.3 trillion in the first seven months of this year and they haven't quit yet. Um, you're going to have to, you're going to have to explain that to me, how you think that that's a good decision. I'm not talking about the markets overall. I'm talking about the government effect on the economy. So, um, all right. We are about 45 seconds out and ready to jump into it. Sarah's in the chat room. Sarah, if you want to call in and say hi, you can. The number is right here 
because my phone, my regular phone line's broken. But the number's right here on the bottom of the screen if you want to call in. Um, but yeah, whatever you guys want to chat about, I'm going to wrap things up and then just uh, open up the phone lines because that's what I got. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, like and share, like and follow, do all the things. Let's get to it. Here we go. Okay, so to wrap up my thoughts on all that, on the truth, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And the truth being, of course, that we're looking at kind of an economic runaway train here in government spending. That eventually the Pied Piper, you know, the Piper, the, 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 it's going to come due. And when it does, it's going to create some situations. Now, if it doesn't, if I'm wrong, 100% wrong, then okay, groovy. It did well. If I'm right, oh, baby. Uh, better to be prepared, that kind of thing. Better to kind of get all your fiscal ducks in a row and, you know, again, be debt-free. You could be investing in real estate. You could be investing in the market, too. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying you want to have something like, you know, fiscal stability you want to be able to have some real property that you own and pay for that you're not you know that that's a good thing to have in a tough time in a depressive era is those kind of things all right um so anyway those are my final thoughts on that that's the thing that i've not been talking the elephant in the room is those kind of things let's uh let's go over here and go to the phones and see what you have to say i see that sarah vance is ready to join us she joined in the chat room during the commercial break. Let's catch up with her to see what's going on real quick. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning. How, how, Sorry, it took me to, a minute to get on the line, but the, the font is really small on the, your screen. The font is really small. Morning, hey, come on. I mean, that is, it's true. It is a, it is a, it is a small font. That is true. Absolutely. Uh, well, it took me a minute to see what those numbers were to be able to call them. What is those tiny little, especially if you're watching on a phone, it's like probably nearly impossible. I, yeah, I was. I was watching on a phone. I'm like, he told me to call in. Now what am I going to do? Yeah, now how am I going to do this for sure? Uh, well, what's Sarah Vance been doing? What? Uh, how's your summer been, uh, lady? What's, uh, what's, uh, what's happening? It's been fun. Uh, this last Saturday, I was up in Kenai um, playing softball against uh, District 7 and 8, and my husband pitched against uh, Ben Carpenter, was the pitcher for uh, his team, and we won. District 6 uh, took home nice. the, the title on on that game and, and just had a, a good time, you know, fundraising, and uh, then headed to Anchor Point you know, food pantry fundraiser there and just listen to some fun music with people there in Anchor Point bidding on desserts and having a good excuse to eat pie. 
Hey, there's never never a bad time to eat pie. Never a bad time. Pie right? for pie for breakfast is just about the perfect meal. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I've I've just been enjoying that. My family's been fishing, been trying to get some projects done around the house and and uh all of those things that remind us what life is about is time with our family. Yeah. No, I mean, I, there's nothing I love more than a little time with the fam hanging out. Uh, my, I tell I tell my wife quite frequently, my favorite place is just, you know, having coffee. We're sitting on the couch, just enjoying each other's time and company, or maybe we're watching some mindless TV thing and we're laughing and we're, you know, uh, or we're out eating or we're with the kids in the backyard or something. I mean, it's just, those are the things that you're, you definitely will remember. And, uh, it's not necessarily all the stuff. It's just the thing you remember, uh, that, that make it important and make it good. And of course, probably make those times down in Juno a little bit more palatable in the long run. Right. It does. And I'm, and I'm sitting here with my little dachshund puppy on my lap that hopefully will help ease some of the the um, time away from my family. Oh, you got you got a little companion, did you? That's uh, that's good. I do. There's nothing like a little dog. I lost my dog here about uh, well, about a year and a half ago now, and uh, it uh, he was he was my constant companion. He went with me pretty much everywhere, and he was a uh, he was a great dog. And I definitely got a lot of comfort and a lot of. Uh, a lot of love from him, and I got my wife a new dog here this last just about a year, just under a year ago, and uh, she's like, I don't know what I'd do without this dog to keep me company throughout the day and to do other things. She goes, it's just, she just loves it so much. So having a dog companion, especially when you're away from your family, probably a big plus. Yes. Hopefully, uh, as you know, I'm out and about in the community, when people stop and see me, they'll be able to say hi to my little Liberty Bell. Little and, Liberty uh, Bell. Oh, that's so cute. I Liberty see, Bell. I always help socialize her a little bit. I always name my dogs after guns. I don't know. Winchester, Glock, Ruger. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just one of those things. I like that. Um, but it, so what? Uh, <clears throat> what's coming up here? We're getting ready. I hate to say it. I mean, we're only like eight weeks away from cold snap. Uh, it's not too far along, so what are you doing to get prepped for the upcoming uh, Gladiator games? Well, uh, everything. Uh, right now, tonight, I'm going out to Nicolaivis to give a legislative update on their community council, and I've been trying to just connect with um, every part of my district to give updates and tell them what's going on and the work that I'm doing. And I'm going to be start. Um, zeroing in on policy for the the bills that I have running and also the bills that are my committee to get organized right next year is going to be a a pretty crazy time because everybody's going to want their bills passed and it being an election year so I want to make sure that I'm ready to go uh, with my different chairmanships and and uh, it's a lot of work yeah I bet I have some uh, what uh, different what, uh, bunch of meetings? What's the uh, what's the reaction been from the public uh, from this? La- I'm just curious from this last session during the interim, you've had a chance to let your hair down a little bit, relax a little bit, spend some time with fam. But you obviously have been engaging with the community as well. What's the reaction been from the last uh, from this last session? What's the overall feel, both from those who are kind of in your camp and not in your camp? Your constituents are not necessarily on the same side of the philosophical fence as you, what, what's the overall feel? 
Uh, people were just astounded at how the Senate um, treated us and how they acted with the budget. I mean, they just they were just completely blown away at the audacity of the Senate. And I said, well, now you see what we've been trying to tell you for a while. Uh, and then the, the other topic is asking how the repeal for ranked choice voting is going. Wow. Uh, I've had, just this last week, I've had two older couples ask me, hey, do they have the signatures for, the, for that to be on the ballot yet? We have to get rid of that. They're like, we didn't want that, you know, how's that going? So there's still a lot of movement for that. People asking how they can find the signatures or, or add the signature and clearly wanting to get back to the simpler process of one person, one vote. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting, at least, I guess, all of those legislators in the Senate and in the, well, I guess everybody will be, their their feelings will be soothed by the extra 67% pay raise that everybody got this year. So that might make it better. But, I, you know, I'm just astounded overall at the whole feel of the legislature in general, but specifically the Senate for sure. Uh, Sarah, I hope you enjoy your time off. I haven't, I haven't wanted to call you because I haven't wanted to bug you during the interim. And we don't have a lot of stuff going on. So we look forward to seeing you as we get closer back towards the session, okay? Sounds good, Michael. Good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Folks, that brings us to the end of the show today. That was pretty darn quick. I hope you enjoyed my truth or didn't enjoy it. At least you understand where I'm coming from on it. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, well, my friends, it was a good show today, or I felt like it was a good show. Hopefully you felt like it was a good show. We will continue tomorrow. Yep, I'm buying Doomsday Bunkers. If, Harold, you got one for sale, tell me how much it is. I'll buy it. You can come plant it in the back of my yard. It'll be fine. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoy the day. It's going to be a good one today. I guarantee it. We will see you tomorrow. Brad Keekley, Chris Story will be our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show